When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sad news this year because my favorite Australian story, sporting story, full stop, well, it's maybe been usurped by uh, Ivan Cleary being able to give his son the Clive Churchill medal. But it's a dead set photo finish. I've shared it with our listeners many, many times where a bloke called Brian Martin wants to grow up and be a premier race caller. One day gets the opportunity to call a Cox Plate. Uh, he has a horse that he can't sell. That horse happens to run in a Cox Plate. He calls the race. It wins. And then he has the audacity, the hide, the temerity, the gall for that same scenario to happen twice. So he couldn't get rid of the horse, and then yep. the horse wins the Cox Plate that he's calling. The premier race in Australia. Oh, so we're, And we're sure this isn't a fine cotton type arrangement no. where he just called whichever horse he wanted no. to win? No, 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 that's right. <laughs> no, but I'm pleased to say the great man who I love, Brian Martin, joins the run home with Joel and Fletch. G'day, Brian. G'day, boys. Great to be with you. Uh, I set that story up, and it is my favourite Australian sporting story. <laughs> but sadly... Very sad news came in June, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, he uh, he passed away at 26 years of age. So he'd uh, he'd been fantastic, and he he won the Cox Plate on that um, on that Saturday in 2006. And by the Monday morning at court to wait, he was out at Living Legends, a, a sort of rest home for champions, which I was part of the board to set that up uh, a couple of years earlier, and we wanted him to have a good home and. When he got out there at eight, uh, court to eight on the Monday morning, he was met by a couple of old timers, <clears throat> Might and Power, wow. uh, Betelus, and Up and Doremus, all champions in their own right, were there waiting for him. They all had a chat and went to their respective paddocks, and that's how Living Legends grew. And he was there for 18 years, so he had a wonderful afterlife after the racetrack. But he gave us uh, immeasurable pleasure. And um, no, I, I won't forget those Cox plates because he ran in it five times. and won two and was placed twice. So he, uh, and he was nine when he won. It was, uh, you know, we announced his retirement on the Friday and come on, Flu, get out and do your best, mate, on Saturday, which he did. He did. And um, a great chapter in our lifetime and, and in racing, really. Well, that's a part of the story that I, I have forgotten, Brian. So, so Fu or Fields of Omar, last ever run was a winning Cox Plate. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. In running, he would equal a record of uh, of running in five, and it was held by a horse from the mid forties. And um, he would then go on if he could win. He'd be the oldest at nine years of age. Wow. The oldest had been eight, which was uh, superimposed in ninety two. But a nine year old had never won the Cox Plate, so he had history stacked against him. But we announced on the Friday, win, lose, or draw. This was his swan song. Wow. And like great athletes, um, he went out and produced arguably his, his best ever. He came from last 
and one of the closest finished ever. So it was sort of one of those things that, you know, it's a Hollywood movie set up to do yeah. it, and, and he did it, which was which was remarkable. So he went out a champion as his career was. So it was great. But, you know, you look back and you think, well, how did he do it? How did I get through it? How did we all do it? And and it's, you know, it's a part of history, I suppose, in many ways. But in my time, I won't see anything like that again. Wow. And to be a part of it, you know, yeah. didn't, uh, you know, purchase the horse and put him amongst friends and everything else. And he broke down twice. He did a suspensory in the front, near side front and the offside front. So they don't really come back, but he came back stronger each time. That, that's the amazing thing. Rest in peace, Fields of Omar. What what an amazing yeah. story! Now you said on the Monday he was out at the the rest home and uh, he was greeted by Might and Power and a few of the other great horses. Yeah. Um, I've yeah. spent a bit of time around uh, retired athletes uh, working both <laughs> here and Fox, and one thing they love to do is just talk up their career with the other blokes. And do you, do you reckon there was a bit of that competitive uh, nature going on with the horses as well? Not a doubt in the world. When the lights sort of all went down and. You know, the, uh, there was a bit of darkness. They go from paddock to pack of the mm. boys and sort of, well, what did you do? Well, I ran in Firecox Place. Yeah, you didn't win a Japan Cup. I'm better loosen up, you know, set aside. I'm might and power. I won the Caulfield Melbourne Cup yeah. on the Cox Plate. Never never heard of you. You know, the, all this sort of stuff would have gone. And, <laughs> and they're all geldings. So, you know, they didn't have stud careers. But it's interesting. There was a, there was sort of a bit of a pecking order out there. And when he when he went into the paddock, first time into the paddock, there was a large paddock we'd prepared for him. And better loosen up was there. And they went behind the shed like there's a shed that they stand up and sleep, you know, out of the, the weather um, at night. And the two of them disappeared because there were cameras rolling on the on the launch day that particular time. And they uh, they disappeared and there was a squeal. Someone, one of the two got kicked Ooh. and then they both just trotted out. So I would say, you know, the herd animal instinct came back to them and they said, well, you're sharing this paddock with me. Um, one of us has got to be boss, and I reckon that's. What, I reckon they sorted it out pretty quickly, and from then on, <laughs> they were inseparable. Because when one of them would go out to do a promotion, you know, go to Flemington to parade, or go to a shopping centre, which which we did out of Living Legends and still do on a major scale. Uh, I remember when we took Fields of Omar or Foo out of the paddock, Better Loosen Up would squeal and run the fence, and you know his mate was gone. The same when Better Loosen Up would disappear, Foo would get upset. So. The, the palling up, um, and you've got to go back to the animal where the animal came from, like three thousand years ago, from the from the deserts of Arabia. You know how they had a pecking order. Um, there was always the king horse, like the leading colt, and the other guys would all know their place and push down the line. So it still went on, and I think that's a part of the horse. Although we've domesticated the horse so much over the years, the horse by his natural instincts will still. Uh, still have that sort of that sort of thing, and that's still sort of in their in their breed, and you never get rid of that. And a lot of people don't understand that. And they say, even with the you know the weanlings and 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 the foals when they run, you know when the feed truck turns up, there'll always always be the the, the foal who get up the front, and the others that all follow suit and get behind. And the boy up the front will be the strongest. It's normally the poor little weak bugger down the back that'll take a little longer to uh, to mature. So. It's still there, you know, the animal instinct, and it's something we should always remember. That's what they are. They're originally a herd animal. This is this is. Are you still involved with Living Legends? Because I'm just thinking uh, we we got the Bachelor on here yeah. uh, on the on Channel Ten earlier. We were watching that, and I'm thinking, you know what? We need better reality TV. Yeah. What yeah. better show <laughs> than like a meerkat manor style yeah. arrangement at Living Legends? Looking yeah. at the pecking order, seeing what all the old horses are up to. I yeah. Mean, 
I think yeah, there's a show in yeah, this, and I, sure. you've got just the voice for it too, Martin. I reckon you can be our voiceover <laughs> guy. We get Osher maybe to do some yeah. a bit of intros and stuff, but then we get you as the uh, the David Attenborough type. Yeah, and, you know, I'll walk the paddocks and, you know, Patchy Cat's there now and Silent Witness and all those guys. Um, a lot of the old-timers have, have gone to the uh, big race course in the sky, but there's a memorial garden that Fu was uh, his ashes were laid to rest there a couple of weeks um, ago, and we uh, we all went out, and uh, the Piper played amazing graces. <laughs> There's the car, the, 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 the sort of the utility took his box of ashes down there. It was lowered in, and a plaque set up, and that's, mm. you know, they crossed the Rainbow Bridge, as they say, and uh, yeah, it's a beautiful part of it all. It's It completes the story. That's that's a fabulous thing about it. Brian, a story's about to be completed on the weekend, and I know you've had a lot to do with his career. You've called many of his great, great wins. I'm talking about Damien Oliver, and the story that has been Damien Oliver, it'll be it for him. Uh, fittingly, back in Perth, what's your great memories of the man they call Ollie? Well, you're probably talking to the right guy in terms of his career because when he came to Melbourne, um, I was the chief caller here, and he came here in the later 80s to uh, be apprenticed to uh, Lee Friedman, and he pimply-faced little little kid, you know, and he uh, he was he was plucked out of WA, one of the Freedmen's recognised his ability because he was shooting the lights out as an apprentice over there. He started only in March of 88 um, and he won a race on, the, on a country track and he progressed from there and, and the Freedmen saw, you know, saw a lot in him. It was, it was a good call. And he came over here and his brother Jason, who was to die later, of course, mm. in a fall in 2002, Jason had come here and, and ridden quite well a bit for the Freedmen's, but ridden through Victoria and then got a bit homesick and went home. Uh, but they rec- recognised that Ollie potentially could uh, could be one of our leading riders. Well, he surpassed that. And calling him when he first arrived, um, you could see quite clearly the kid had it. And he won his first Group 1 in 1990 uh, on Submariner at Caulfield. I remember calling that race. and Bart Cummings trained the horse, so he'd, he'd been pelled up with one of the best in the business. And then to see his sort of career unfold, uh, to get to 128 um, Group 1s and 3,168 outright winners, and that's a record. But he went on to win 10 premierships, and the record was held by Billy Duncan and Roy Higgins and many years gone by of 11 premierships in Victoria. Ollie won 10. Uh, he won the four Caulfield Cups. The record was five, held by Scobie Breasley. He won three Melbourne Cups. Ollie and two close seconds but the record is held by Bobby Lewis and Harry White of four Melbourne Cups. So he was on the on the cusp of actually creating records in the biggest races as well. But they'll never get back. Or I think the only jockey that's going to get, get and do the uh, the Group 1 record will be uh, J-Mac, um, James McDonald, because he's, he's well ahead of schedule. But Ollie holds a record there. But he... Um, he had a, a brilliant career, and he, he from day one, you could see that he was hungry. He was mean and he was lean. Uh, he got very homesick over here as a kid, and a couple of times he nearly sort of, you know, burst away from the stable and went home because he really was a, a Western Australian Perth hometown boy. All his family were there, including his mum. Uh, so just to watch him make it here on his own, and the Freedmans, you know, they, they were tough customers, those boys Lee when they started out and his brothers Anthony and Michael and Richard when they started out and they they became an enormous success in the late 80s through the 90s and that very tough taskmasters so I reckon they would have given him buggery along the way mm. uh, if he didn't shape up and a couple of times he nearly bolted and went home but he rode the rode the bumps and 
very quickly just started um, on a you know a magic carpet ride of success and and wins in every major race and he could make horses sing really um, I'd see him riding at Moe on a Thursday or packing them on a Friday and uh, he'd be there for the group one day on the Saturday and that was put down to a combination of things like just absolute natural talent bred to be a jockey his dad was a jockey his brother was a jockey so he had all the ingredients perfect timing uh, knew where the post was you know in a photo finish very few would beat him but always hungry always hungry and I said to him I was doing a, a podcast for the Melbourne Cup a couple of years ago and I said why is it where you are now, you know, you're the, you're the number one man here. Why would you go to Bendigo on a, on a wet, you know, middle of the winter mm. Thursday? And he said, well, you never know. He said, you might be something you've been writing track work for Danny O'Brien and you're running, the filly's running in a maiden. You never know. She might, you know, go through to the Oaks and you want to be there where they start. So, uh, and I took that on board and he, shortly after I did that interview uh, and I said, is there one to follow? He said, yeah, I think that I did win the maiden on recently. Um, I forget its name for the time, but it was just a couple of years ago, and she went on to win the Oaks. So I can oh. see where he'd be there at the start, right at the start of their career, but he had this innate ability to recognise the talent. Um, and that, that's what that's what made him so great. And his timing, as I say, uh, his strength, and even his fellow riders, you know, he, they refer to him as the greatest of all time because he, um, even at 50 years of age, he was still punching them home and outriding everyone else. So... Where do you start and talk about yeah. with his, you know, his greatest wins? But it's just phenomenal. Brian Martin, thanks for the insight. Fields of Omar, uh, of course, the great man, Damien Oliver. And next time we'd love to chat about J-Mac and what he's achieved at Hong Kong and what you've achieved in your career. And uh, you've been very, very kind to share some of that great, uh, invaluable insight with us. Uh, Brian Martin, thanks for joining the Run Home with Joel and Fletch. Good on you guys.